Thanks for listening to the second episode of the Ozarks Explored. Uh, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Jason Lee Knight and David Edwards, both fans of the page who shared my initial posting of the first episode, The Albino Farm. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, be sure to share on your Facebook or if anyone you know that might be interested in this kind of uh, subject matter. Also, give us a review on iTunes and enjoy the show. So the legend usually goes that there is a old Girl Scout campground uh, south of town near Lake Springfield where once upon a time um, some Girl Scouts are murdered and their ghosts or spirits um, haunt those grounds. Similarly to um, the Albino Farm properties now um, mostly destroyed and seems to only frequented by graffiti artists or fledgling graffiti artists or um, homeless or So, um, what I did was look into, um, similarly to the Albina Farm, is what did that location used to be, uh, how long has this been around, or what actually happened there, or what significant events happened that might have triggered such a story. Now, what is often referred to as Winoka Camp, or Camp Winoka, is actually Winoka Lodge. And an article at the Springfield Leader and Press, Winoka is said to mean great spirit. I also found an earlier record indicating it could also mean underground spirit by the Osage Nation, historically known as Niukonska. Built in 1890 and served as a hunter's club. I wasn't able to determine who initially built the property, but I found that the earliest inhabitant was Dr. Edward Shepard. Uh, Dr. Shepard was a geologist professor at Drury College, um, and according to a 1904 Drury Southwester, kind of like a uh, yearbook, um, he would often take his classes to Winoka Lodge to study the caves and different um, aspects of the property. It was pretty expansive, um, and it's near the lake, obviously, so um, there's a lot of things that could be found that would be interested to someone in a geology class, obviously. Um, obviously speaking, as a person that has nothing, no uh, inclination towards geology, <laughs> Uh, and thanks to the State Historical Society of Missouri, um, they were actually sent me a uh, collection of uh, lantern slides that Dr. Shepard had taken and um, left, um, three of which um, were pictures of the um, some of the cave locations at Winoka. You can actually look on the website, uh, theosexplore.com, uh, on the blog post. Now, the property was sold um, between various people, and there weren't any significant events taking a place. Um, Dr. Shepard actually sold a quarter of the shares of the property to uh, several businessmen in town or judges. Um, but mostly, after De- uh, Shepard um, passed on, it was uh, not really used frequently. It was mostly um, left unoccupied. Ultimately, the pre- property was taken over by the Schweitzer family of Springfield, who um, were the last people to own it. And they used it as a summer home. Now, Winoka was, again, unoccupied for great lengths of time and was ultimately burned down in 1978, not unlike the Springlawn Farm. Um, there was an earlier fire on the property the year before in 1977. Now, an arsonist was more or less assumed to be responsible, but I couldn't find anything indicating a legitimate investigation had been launched. Now, maybe there was a serial arsonist in town. Um, definitely, I mean, two years apart, the Springlawn Farm was burnt down in 1980. 
Um, and just this happened a couple of years prior, but again, that's purely speculation. I mean, it's likely, it's unlikely. I, I guess people of Springfield just are innately want to set fires to everything. There might be a whole other legend or myth to Springfield residents in relation to their uh, proclivity to set fire. So with all this history of Winoka, of it being unoccupied, not used for anything significant or no significant stories, no suicides, no murders on the camp. Where does this rumor of these grizzly murders and these Girl Scouts and this Girl Scout camp even begin? When did it stop being an unused summer home to the Schweitzer family and to becoming a campsite where a horrific murder would have taken place? Well, Winoka Lodge was never used by the Girl Scouts of America for any reason. Now, much like the albino farm legend, the specificity of the legend is too unique to ignore, even considering that. Um, so is there any truth to it at all? Yes and no. There was never a Girl Scout camp in Winoka, I know that. Um, so therefore, no Girl Scouts to be murdered, but... In June of 1977, the same year that the property was burned down, in Locust Grove, Oklahoma, three young Girl Scouts were viciously raped and murdered before, uh, during the first night of their trip to Camp Scott. It was Lori Lee Farmer, 8, Michelle Gus, 9, and Doris Denise Miller, 10, who were among 140 other campers that traveled out to Camp Scott that, that, that weekend. So Camp Scott is a 400-acre camp in the hills of the Ozark Mountains. They didn't use cabins like it assumed, but... Uh, Tents similar to those used in Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, if you've seen that movie, uh, except with a kind of a, a large wooden pallet beneath them. Um, each unit was comprised of tent groups and were named after Native American tribes, Osage, Chickasaw, Creek, Seminole, so on and so forth. The Kiowa unit was the outermost on the site. The road leading to the site is called the Cookie Trail, and the scouts would call out the names of the units as they passed by uh, on their way to their particular unit. In April 1977, one of the camp counselors at Camp Scott had just returned from a training session to find all her stuff had been rifled through. There was a box of donuts that was now empty. Uh, inside the box, however, was a note. It was handwritten and proclaimed that three girls were going to be murdered. Now, I've never been to a summer camp, obviously not a Girl Scout camp um, like this personally, but I know from just about every movie about camping ever made, pranking seems to be an everyday occurrence more or less. Um, so, just the same, this note was discarded as such. Just a prank, something not to take seriously. Uh, of course, knowing what happens, it's easy to say in hindsight that maybe the counselors should have been more concerned. Uh, I don't think that's entirely fair. Um, again, counselors aren't typically much older than the kids they're looking over. So, the evening of June 12th, there was a thunderstorm. Lori, Denise, and Michelle huddled in the last tent in the Kiowa unit, tent number eight. Um, it was actually tent number seven, um, but if you include the counselor tent, it was the eighth tent on, on the unit. Uh, the morning after, June 13th, counselor Carla Emery was on her way to the shower when she discovered Denise's body at a fork in the path. A towel and a rope were tied around her neck. She found Lori and Michelle's bodies nearby, dead inside their sleeping bags, their mouths sealed with black electrical tape. Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, OSBI, were contacted, and Officer Michael Wilkerson recalled... People were talking in whispers. I remember how tiny, tiny, tiny the figures were in the sleeping bags. Now, in the reports I've read about this, this murder, these murders make a distinction that the girls were sexually molested but not raped, quote-unquote. 
I'm not exactly sure what this means, but the distinction seems a little bit irrelevant. Uh, I mean, there, I'm, I'm sure it's obviously very likely that there is some kind of um, significant law definition or it's legalese that um, there is technically a difference. I don't know, but for the most part, it, 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 just, it doesn't seem like there's much significance to pointing it out. Um, Doris had been strangled while Lori and Michelle were bludgeoned and their bodies carried more than 100 yards from their tent. Everyone went home after this, obviously, and Camp Scott closed its doors and closed they remain. On June 14th, the bloodied wooden floor of the tent, um, again, the tents were uh, a fabric tent with a wooden pallet at the bottom, um, where the girls had slept, was airlifted to a crime lab. It looked as though someone had tried to mop up the blood with towels and mattresses indicating the crime um, had initially occurred in the tent, um, and then they were carried away. Um, it was published in the press that a tennis shoe, uh, tennis shoe print was found outside the tent, and a different print was found inside, which led uh, people to believe the crime may have been perpetrated by at least two people. Now, a red flashlight with a piece of newspaper inside, uh, a roll of duct tape, and a nylon rope were found close to the bodies. Uh, throughout the camp, several pairs of prescription eyeglasses had been taken and discarded on its grounds. John M. Crudson reported that the murderer had to be physically agile, quote-unquote. Police canines tracked a scent that led investigators to believe the murderers passed by the counselor's tent on the way to the victim's tent. Um, again, another aspect um, that people were used to blame the counselors is that um, there were some rumors that uh, counselors had seen uh, a light of some kind on the tent, but when they went out to um, survey uh, the, the unit grounds, they didn't find anyone. Now, men working at the camp were cleared after investigation. Uh, Jack Schroff, who owned a ranch nearby, was also investigated. Schroff reported that a few days prior, he had some items stolen from his home. He was also cleared after passing a polygraph test. There was a cave close to Camp Scott where officers found a newspaper that matched the one found in the flashlight. They also found pictures of two women. It was discovered that photos were taken by a prison guard who moonlighted as a wedding photographer and were developed by former inmate Jean Leroy Hart, who had escaped from prison four years earlier and was still at large. Hart was a football star in high school and was convicted of burglary of four Tulsa homes as well as the sexual assault of two women. Um, 11 years prior, 1966, Hart worked at Flint Steel in Tulsa. He didn't show up one day and instead drove his car to a popular nightclub um, area referred to as the Corner of Dreams. He had filled his trunk with newspapers prior to arriving at the parking lot of the Fond du Lac Club where he kidnapped two young pregnant women. One was put into the trunk while the other rode in the passenger seat. He took them to a wooded area where he raped and sodomized both women, and he bound the women, including duct-taping their nostrils, and left them beneath leaves and debris to suffocate to death. Fortunately, both women were able to free themselves. Fast forward to April of 1978, ten months after the murders, when OSBI raided a house in a rural area near Bunch, Oklahoma. There, they arrested Gene Leroy Hart and charged him with three murders. Hart was wearing women's eyeglasses when he was caught. A year later, his trial began before a jury of 12 men and women evenly split. S.M. Buddy Fallis served as prosecutor while Gavin Isaacs defended in his first murder trial. Fallis put on a witness who claimed that Hart's hair matched that which was found in duct tape that was binding Denise Miller. Isaacs countered that a, um, a chemist indicated that it was not an absolute identification. Isaacs also showed that there was a thumbprint on the flashlight that, that did not belong to Hart, and that the footprint found in the tent was a size 9.5 while Hart wore a size 11 and a half. Isaacs noted that you can't change your fingerprint or shrink your feet. 
Hart was acquitted of the murders in 1979, and Hart ultimately returned to prison regardless, uh, resuming a sentence received for the, for the burglaries and assaults of the pregnant woman. Hart collapsed while jogging in the prison and died of a heart attack. Officer Wilkerson, who went on to co-write a book about the murders called Someone Cry for the Children, maintains that Hart was the killer and that the trial was bungled. He referred to it as OJ before OJ. Not everyone felt the same way, especially not ex-convict John Russell Penn, who wrote a screenplay called Candles based on the murders at Camp Scott. The film is directed by John Swider and co-stars former Duke of Hazard John Schneider. In the film, Penn claims to reveal the identity of the killer as Carl Lee Myers. Penn maintains that Myers confessed to him years ago in a drunken stupor. This ultimately seems to be a pathetic attempt to generate interest in his screenplay by promising such a reveal. And if it is somehow a genuine revelation, it's disturbing that he would know such a thing and keep it to himself for so long. Carl E. Myers was certainly a dangerous person, however. He was a serial rapist whose alias was Killer Carl. Myers was convicted in 1998 of the 96 rape and murder of Broken Arrow resident Cindy Marzano, as well as another victim in 93, Sean Williams. He died in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in 2012 while serving his death sentence. The only connection existing between Myers and the Girl Scout murders is overwhelmingly anecdotal. It's my opinion that Hart seems to be the likely perpetrator, and, and had the crime been committed today, he would likely have been convicted with the modern technology we uh, used to observe DNA evidence, which was reviewed as recently as 2007 but was largely unusable. Although there are um, facts and clues and evidence um, found during in the crime scene when the murders were initially investigated that do seem to indicate that he may have had an accomplice. What I wonder about now is how exactly this story was eventually conflated with the Winoka Lodge location. Similar to the albino farm legend, it seems possible that the murders occurring within the same year that the abandoned Winoka property was destroyed is the most likely connection. Uh, Winoka also existed south of Springfield away from the public eye and may have seemed more distant than it actually was, given that Locust Grove, um, the location of Camp Scott's a good two and a half hours, two hundred or so miles distance between um, them and Winoka. These kind of mental errors do happen all the time, and when they get passed on from person to person, it's like this long game of telephone where the details get lost, but this horrific, creepy core of the message prevails. Uh, rest assured, though, that if you find yourself stumbling upon the remains of one Oka Lodge in the night, there are no tortured spirits to worry about, except for maybe the shards of the broken bottle once containing the spirits, but you know, that's neither here nor there.